lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job over the years has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio. From the AM640 studios in Toronto, with Hi-Fi portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good morning, Toronto. Good morning, Ontario. Good morning, Canada. Good morning, the world, which has become flat. With technology, we can be streamed, we can be downloaded, we can be tuned into whenever you like to listen to your favorite edition of Hi-Fi Radio. Indeed, indeed, indeed. So we got quite the lineup today, and this is not a stretch because it all gets back down to money, careers, education, and just how life tends to deal you some funny cards every now and then. Uh, indeed, we got Nick Boynton on, uh, NHL superstar. His name is on the Stanley Cup, and he played hockey with our friend Jack Hartle. And Jack, in fact, has half his hockey team in the studio today. Jay Child, real estate broker, CBRE. He sells those big farms. And, uh, well, he knows where the real money sits. And then we're going to end the show with Bruce Litton of Canopy Growth, the largest medical marijuana producer in Canada. So quite the show lined up. Without further ado, let's take the show over to the finance of hockey with Nick Boynton. Nick, I want to thank you very kindly for joining us on the show. Oh, thank you very much for having me. A real pleasure. Now, now, uh, Jack put out a few calls, you know, just to try to get a bit of a hockey team going. Jack, who did you try to get on air first? Uh, Doug Gilmore. And sorry, what, what was Doug Gilmore's response? Uh, he was looking for a, a big contract or a, a lot more money than uh, the Wolfman would put out. He, he wanted what twenty five grand in that neighborhood. Twenty five grand to hang on high. I got a right? lobster roll for lunch today. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing all right. 25 is a little much. I take a lobster roll. My God. So, so Nick, Nick Boynton, they, my God, you played hockey with Jack when you were a little boy. Jay Child, of course, uh, played hockey with him as well as a little boy. But you, you went on. Like, Jack did work very well with hockey. I'm very proud of Jack. Yeah. A member of the Peterborough Peets. Um, so, so it had a very, very nice career. But you, of course, put your name on the Stanley Cup with Chicago. Uh, you began your career in 2004, you, an all-star game. Uh, you got the Memorial Cup in Ottawa. 1998 MVP, Stafford Smythe Trophy. Uh, you're a very, very decorated man. And what really caught my attention, Nick, was the fact that you played 605 games in the NHL. When I saw that status at Jack, I wouldn't last six seconds in the NHL. It's 605 games. And again, you were a defenseman. So, so you got a few bruises on you. I got some bumps and bruises, yeah. But uh, I was very fortunate. I didn't have... Too many major injuries. The ones I had were taken care of, and I was able to, you know, stay on the ice for 10, 11 years. So it was great. So look, this, again, the show is High Finance, uh, Hi-Fi Radio. We're going we're gonna to weave in some music. we got some good, good hockey music lined up for you, Nick, all right? So don't you worry about that. Um, but the, I said to my son, Sebastian, who's 15 and a goalie and just uh, more hockey than school, shall I say, in, in, in his focus in life. He just loves hockey. Uh, I said, uh, Sebastian, do me a favor, find out how much money did Nick make uh, playing hockey. And within seven seconds, his uh, iPhone told him that you made about $14 million in your, what, 11-year career? Yeah. Can you ask him to find it for me now? Well, but, but here's the story again. <laughs> uh, you, know, if, 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 you know, some parents want their kids to make into yeah. the big leagues, and we're, in the month of, we're heading to the month of September. It's Labor Day weekend. And, uh, you know, Jack is taking the training courses. Jack is going to become a coach. Was it Tyke, your coaching, Jack? Um, mini tyke, I think. It mini is. tyke, but but but, 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 but it's, it's four. It's four to six year olds. Four to six year olds, and, and I got to go back to school too. It's uh, not guaranteed you're going to coach because you have to that? pass four courses. I'm pretty confident I'm going to pass the courses, but uh, yeah, time will tell. Yeah, the world has changed, doesn't it, in terms of hockey, eh, Jack? Like what you have to do to coach hockey. 
Uh, for sure, especially uh, you know uh, minor leagues or mini tyke. It's uh, I never experienced it before, but it's uh, it'll be it'll be a new experience for me, and I'm sure dealing with the parents and uh, getting James out on the ice will be fun. Impressionable minds, Jack. You need to need to be careful there. <laughs> so, so Nick, um, I, I don't know where to go with you. There's a lot of things to talk about. Like, you know, what is life to, to to have your name on the Stanley Cup as a Canadian, as as as, as a man from Nobleton, Ontario? Jay, you're from Nobleton as well. Yeah, that's true. Jay Child uh, in the house, CBRE uh, went from uh, living in Nobleton on the farm to selling farms. Right? Is that basically what happened with you? Yeah, that's right. And I guess you yeah, played hockey when, didn't when, work when, out like it did for Nick for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, absolutely remarkable. You, you, you've had yourself an eleven-year career, and then you retired, uh, and you became a broadcaster. Yes. And so, uh, how was that experience? Uh, you know what? It was excellent. It, it was broadcasting was something I never thought I would uh, get into. It, it was offered to me. Uh, uh, the friends bought the Arizona Coyotes off the uh, off the league about three or four years ago. They offered me the job. I really enjoyed doing it. Now they've sold their stakes in the team, and I'm looking for, I'm looking for a job. So I'm on the radio with you, and back at the family farm, driving a tractor right now. You, you're actually on the farm right now, uh, helping out. The, I, the I am. I, I own. Uh, we grew up in Nobleton, like you said, Jack, Jay, and myself. And I grew up on a farm just outside of town. It's a sod farm. Um, and then when I started making a bit of money playing hockey, I bought you know a couple hundred acres to grow sod on up in the Cookstown area, and that's what my family uses, uh, that and some other farms we've bought uh, to grow the sod and sell it. All right, so uh, where, where I think you're going to help our audience out now with the high finances, um, again, the kids are getting their skates sharpened, they're getting, they're going to Canadian Tire to get some uh, elbow pads and shin pads and Cooperalls. I'm kidding. <laughs> you work Cooperalls? I like the Cooperalls. No, I, no, I don't. <laughs> um, but let's, let's talk advice here. Uh, again, you made it in the big leagues, you had yourself a fantastic career, the career stopped at what age thirty? How old were you when you retired? Thirty-one, thirty-two. 30, I think, you know, yeah. You're still a kid. Thirty-eight now. Yeah. Yeah, thirty-eight now. About a thirty-one, you're still a kid, and you got your, your whole life in front of you. Uh, what's going through your mind? Well, at that point when I retired, we'd won the Stanley Cup. I played one more year. It, it didn't go well. I just wanted to golf for the rest of my life, and I found out about a year into that that wasn't going to work out. You know, spending money on the golf course every day. So. Got to have a backup plan. I know growing up, everybody said that. And as a kid, you know, kids listen and parents listen. And you got to have a backup plan. That's that's the key. And I always had the farm. And I'm fortunate because I, I'm working back there. And I need to be working back to, uh, there to keep my, my mind occupied more than anything, I think. Well, it's nice to be grounded. You know, I remember Jack told me a funny story about you, but six, six to eight months ago, he said, you know, it's funny, when, when, when Nick and I were in school, uh, the teacher asked all of the students in school, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you put your hand up and you said, I want to be in the NHL. And the teacher laughed at you. Not so funny anymore, I guess. You, you got the laugh last on that one. You, you hang around with us, Nick, please, this morning. I, I, want, I, want, to, I want you to share with the audience more uh, in terms of advice that if you do make it to the big leagues, the NHL, what you should do and don't do with your money and with your career right after this. Money. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. Money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM640. It's hockey night tonight. Tension grows, the whistle blows, and the puck goes down the ice. 
the goalie jumps and the players bump and the fans all go insane. Someone roars, Bobby scores at the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game. All right. Nick, you ever hear that song? Uh, <laughs> maybe once or twice. <laughs> never, never. never. <laughs> uh, good Who old, is that again? Yeah, good old Stompin' Tom. Uh, brothers and sisters of Hi-Fi Radio, we got Jack Hartle's hockey team. Sort of. In the from studio. 1989. <laughs> from 1989. Yeah, the jerseys are a little shrunk. Uh, yeah, Jay Child uh, went from hockey to becoming a, uh, a real estate broker at the uh, commercial end. Jack Hartle, of course, went from hockey to working with the Wolf on Bay Street. And Nick Boynton, well, he made it into the big leagues. 605 games in the NHL. And basically, just before his career ended, got his name on the Stanley Cup. It's in the trunk of his car in the Chorus Studio parking lot. We're going to have a beer out of that puppy later, eh, boys? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we did. Uh, we had a Stanley Cup party back at the farm. Uh, I guess it was 2010. It holds seven and a half beers, to be exact. Oh, yeah, yeah so you know. <laughs> I know. I know exactly how much it holds. Oh, great. <laughs> I say, just with the uh, upcoming hockey season, 2018, they're talking about the Olympics here. Um, sounds like they're not going. Uh, it's supposed to be in uh, Korea, I guess. Well, what's your opinion there? Well, just personally, you know, I've got four four kids, 11 and under, and that's just not a place in the world I'd like to be going right now. Yeah. And I'm... I'm shocked at some of the players, you know, former teammates of mine saying that they want to go and that they want to play at the Olympics. I, I know a lot of them have kids, and and I think bargaining-wise with the NHL, there's going to be another collective bargaining agreement coming up, and I think the NHL is just kind of taking advantage of the players. With the Players got to get on board. The union's got to, they got to get a little more tight-lipped. Right. So many guys are, are speaking their minds right now, and I, and I think it's going to really hurt so is it the, uh, is it the individual player's position, or is this uh, the, the, the group or the NHLPA well, that's coming across and saying they want to go to Korea? I don't, I don't get what they're... I don't know what they are either, because I think if, you know, the NHLPA as a whole, I don't think they'd want to go to, to South Korea. But I think you have individual stars, say, like Alexander Ovechkin, he says he's going. Now, yeah. his, his owner, Ted Leonosis, there in Washington is supporting him. So, again, there's going to be a big fight over over what's going to happen here and and the NHL is going to China they've you know made strides to to break into that market you know they're going to China and if the players want to go to this Olympics they're going to have to give up something in in terms of you know collective bargaining could they actually um could they actually go if the if their owner said that they couldn't could they legally go I think it'd be a breach of contract and I, I don't know where or you know what direction that would go I think there'd be a lawsuit and they'd have to pay their money back which I don't see a lot of players doing, but you never know when push comes to shove, we'll see what happens. So it sounds like they're putting themselves in a, a weak position uh, coming up to the collective bargaining agreement, which is in a couple of years down the road. At least they're not united anyways. What would you say to the players? You've been through a lockout, a full season lockout. What would you say to these guys that uh, have the potential to have, be locked out for a season or even half season for uh, that matter? It's funny. You know, the NFL's got a problem with concussions and, and getting their union on board. They need guaranteed contracts. We still have guaranteed contracts in the NHL. Yep. The NFL doesn't. You can be cut. It, it's ridiculous. But our union, the problem we had back in 04, 05, I, I think it was the the year we we didn't have the Stanley Cup, we lost the whole year. It's the big name guys making a ton of money that hmm. were having problems paying their bills. You know the the sort of the regular guys, the the workers and the grinders were ready ready for the fight. So you've got to get everybody on the same page. And until you have your union on the same page, there's always it only takes one guy to mess everything up for everybody else. 
And where, where do you see the owners, I guess, position? Like, are, are they just saying right now they don't want their players going there because of injury or is it uh, just they don't want to lose the revenue through the season? Uh, it's tough. There's so much hockey being played. Um, and the guys that go to the Olympics are the same guys that are going to the Stanley Cup finals. Yeah, it's a long Same guys season. that are playing that tournament here in in Toronto this uh <laughs> This year, whatever they called that, I can't remember, but it's a long season, and your body needs a break. I was going to say, for the fans, the fans want to see the best on best, but the uh, the Canada Cups, not the Canada Cups, but whatever whatever they had here in Toronto last year, the World World Cup or whatever yeah, they called it, yeah, it, it was an exhibition. It was not a uh, it was not the best players going a hundred percent, as far as I'm concerned. And to have a team that was 18, 19 year olds playing against the top uh, NHL players. Um, I don't know if it's a farce, but it was, certainly wasn't the uh, the competition that you see at the well, Olympics. It you know, definitely doesn't have the integrity that the Olympics do. Or you know, when we were kids, obviously, the old Canada Cup was you yeah. know what you what you remember growing up. But it's just money. They're making lots of money playing exhibition hockey here in Toronto. As long as people are buying the tickets, is that is that going to the owners or is that going to the players? That's a split. Or, that's a split the... through players and okay. and ownership. Yep, it's. They're making the big guys are making some some big some money right now. There. Yeah, Nick, I'm gonna take this back now. Again, we we got to we got to keep keep the finance part going here. And again, in 2005, there was a lockout, and uh, I asked Jack. Jack said basically, Nick didn't get paid in that year of lockout. Uh, I couldn't imagine you're you had fifth year in your career and you're not getting paid. Um, but again, when you were 20 years old, you're a kid. Yes, again, you're a kid at 31. I'm a kid at 52, <laughs> so it's all good. Um, but you 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 drafted to Boston. Um, Remarkable. Like, look, again, what a great brand. Uh, so if you were a 20-year-old kid today and you got drafted to Boston, what kind of business and career decisions do you need to make from, from owners to financial management to accountants to lawyers? Should you rely on your parents? Jack pulled out a number of cases where players actually sued their parents for misguidance. So please get, share with the audience or the kids about to get drafted, what advice can you offer them now? Yeah, money does strange things to people, that's for sure. But uh, in my experience, you, you got to find a, you know, a, a trustworthy financial advisor. I can't tell you how many guys that I've played with that have lost all their, their life savings due to a financial advisor that, you know, went astray and, and spent all their money on, a, on himself. Say, it's not bad investments. It's fraud. Is what's, it's fraud. What's going it's on. absolutely fraud. Yeah, Brian Burrard, a very good friend of mine, lost all his money, and his financial advisor is in jail. There's some bad people out there. You need to find people you trust, um, which isn't the easiest thing in, in today's day and age, but there are trustworthy people like yourselves out there. Oh, thanks, Nick. Yeah, no problem. And that's uh, and that's what you got to do because if I could do one thing over, it would have been. It, it, people tell you all the time, that, you know, you, you can't play forever. Well, I, when I was twenty and I had the next ten years ahead of me, I didn't really care. That was forever. That was fifty percent of your life. Exactly. Yeah. I wish I'd paid a little more attention and put a little more away to make things a little bit easier today. But you know, it's remarkable. When I said this to Jack. I said, Jack, you got to get Nick on the air because really. You being on air is, is really the reason I'm in this industry because I used to work in the entertainment industry. And no different than, than athleticism, those who work in entertainment, they can often have shortened careers. At the age of 40, 45, they love you when you're 44 and they hate you when you're 45. Yep. Um, and so if you don't properly plan for your financial future and, and, and build up a reserve and contingency for lockouts and for what-ifs, you could end up in a rare, dire situation. Oh, and, exactly. And, and I certainly didn't want that to happen to any of my friends. Jack doesn't want that to happen to any of his friends. And and, and the world of hockey is actually more tightened and shortened. An 11 career is a long career. But the average NHL career is what, four years, five years, Jack? 
if that. So, so you actually had an eleven year career. Yeah. It's a long, long career. It is, yeah. Uh, but you still have what uh, thirty years in front of you. Uh, you sound great on air, Nick. I must well, say. Well, thank I, you. I can see why you uh, had a broadcasting uh, <laughs> stint. I, I really hope they bring you up here in Canada. I, I, think, I, think I appreciate it. I hope I, I, I get I, hired I, up here in Canada. I'm going to right now put in a good word to Chorus Entertainment for you. Hire this man. Thank you very much. I Nick Boynton. Nick Boynton. Name on the Stanley Cup. Played for Chicago. I wish he was a Leafer. Maybe not. I probably don't want to wish that upon you. Not back then, eh? <laughs> All right. Coming up next, more of Jack's Hockey Friends. We got Jay Child, but not so much hockey, whole lot of real estate. Coming up right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Yeah, good morning, Toronto. Well, it's Jack's generation in the studio. Nick Boynton, name on the NH, excuse me, Nick, name on the Stanley Cup, played for Chicago in the house. Jay Child. Jay, what position did you play with, with, Jay, with Jack? I was a second-line center. You were a centerman, and Jack was a wingman. No, I was defense partner with Nick. Oh, you? Uh, he was my partner. This is yeah. 10 years old, of course. We're yes. talking pond hockey here. Yeah, pond hockey. Pond hockey. Yes. Novice. Yeah, so, but it's really incredible just to see, you know, you, you all played hockey together, and, 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 and Nick became a superstar and got his name on the cup. Like, how cool is that? It's, like, so cool. And the man played 600 and, what, four games, 605 games in the NHL, like, beyond cool, and, and strength and feet and determination and... I don't know, probably a little desperation every now and then, too, eh? I don't know, I, I, once I, in a while. Once yeah. in a while. It happens I, in the markets. It happens, <laughs> hey, man. I, I, please, I'm a pretty desperate cat every now and then. Uh, but Jay Child, of course, went from pond hockey with Jack to, well, flipping farms. Yeah, yeah, development sites is uh, is my specialty. Wow, yeah. You know, Jack and I chat about you a lot, Jay, because I think you have a really, and Jack certainly respects your, your pulse on the uh, uh, real estate business. You have a very sophisticated, I think, view on real estate um, so, uh, what, what are you, what are you seeing in the world of, uh, in the world of raw land and, uh, developers gobbling up to put up some more developments? Yeah, the market's still good. I mean, <clears throat> we always say this amongst our team and I've got, I've got three partners on our team and, and our focus exclusively is, is, uh, is GTA development sites. And so, uh, so what we do is we represent sellers and as we're bringing, uh, bringing new product, new opportunities into the development community. And when our phone stops ringing, that's when I'll start to get concerned. But right now, uh, right now we're having a good run. The big, the big guys are still, uh, are still being smart, but are being aggressive. Prices are at all-time highs, and uh, and quite honestly, the uh, the maybe the minute slowdown in in what we're reading in the media. We're not seeing it in terms of the the future pipeline over the over the short and medium term. So, so the properties that you're looking at here, they're north of the 401, north of the 407, or are you down in like southern Ontario um, as, as your primary real estate market? You know what this this week uh, this week we closed a couple of sites in East Willenberry. We closed one in uh, in Simcoe County in Beaton. Uh, we closed one out in Niagara Falls, and we've got uh, we've got some some pretty high profile condo sites right downtown. So if the development industry will look at this property as an opportunity. That's where we go. We go where they want to go, and we just tried to get there a few days before. <laughs> so, um, in, in terms of raw land, uh, what's acreage selling for? It's like asking what a car is worth. Yeah, uh, you know what? Even if even if there's a property side by side and there's no physical borders in between, and we'll probably get into this, uh, it's a political regimen out there, and uh, policy dictates if you have it or if you don't have it. Mm-hmm. And that's a simple simplified version of it. Mm-hmm. But I could I could list off. Hundreds of examples where 
one property is worth 10 times what the neighboring property is worth just because of an, an, an invisible line. I, we're talking green belt, I guess, eh? You're talking green belt. You're talking urban boundaries. You're talking Oak Ridge's Moraine. Um, you're talking infrastructure. You're talking designations. You're talking uh, quite a number of things. I mean, there are so many moving parts. People always ask, oh, well, I'm, I'm inside the urban boundary. It's like, well, that's great, but you don't have any capacity to, to do anything, to build anything. Or I'm outside hmm. the urban boundary, but I've got all this highway frontage. Well, that's good, but you're in the green belt. You know, and so so there's it's a combination of, of factors that go into value. So so when you when you approach a shall we say farmer, maybe or the estate thereof, mm-hmm. um, uh, you look at the property. You have to I guess go away, do some research to find out what it is capable of becoming. Absolutely. I mean, the biggest mistake we see um, landowners and w- and listen. Sometimes these are not just you know everybody's probably thinking oh the guy that's worked the farm for eighty years or, or three generations or five generations whatever that may be. I mean, we do the exact same thing for major corporations, and that is we have to go through and we have to break it down, peel back all the levels of the onion, uh, so to speak, to understand what policy is, understand what the market is, and uh, and understand, I mean, listen, it, it's very simple to say, land value is worth the revenue you can generate from it. No different probably than stocks are worth what the earnings yeah, are Yeah, discounted cash flow model, absolutely. You know, and, and ultimately what goes into that, it's assessing risk, it's assessing timing, it's assessing market uh, conditions, and trying to forecast. The guys that have set the benchmarks in pricing are those with the most aggressive assumptions. Okay, so let's go back to pricing. Again, I understand a Porsche is a little different than a Datsun, uh, different, than a Kia, different than a Kia. But um, if I'm a developer, and so you, uh, you, you find me a piece of land that is developable, uh, develop, capable of being developed, um, that, that has the uh, amenities required, uh, what would be the ballpark uh, price per acre? Again, it depends what you're going to build on it. But we're, I mean, we're seeing land that you, I'll put it in perspective for, you know, when people close their eyes and think of a hundred acre farm be, being built into a subdivision, right. where the range may have been 200 to 400,000 an acre back eight, six, eight years ago, mm-hmm. we're seeing that well north of a million now. Unbelievable. So if you think about it, really land, the land value is what's left at the end of the day. Cost, policy, risk, everything else. If you look at house prices, house prices have gone up exponentially because we have a major supply problem. So, so looking at the supply problem and looking at these developers, um, how, how in tune are they and, and what have they done, I guess, with the uh, the 16 or 17 changes that the Ontario government recently implemented? Have, are they spooked or are they uh, do they understand what's going on and willing to move forward? No, I mean, I mean, the the development industry is very sophisticated yep. and uh, and the development in, and quite honestly to the. Um, they are very involved in advocating for certain things, and, and there's big advocacy programs that go into these. The, the I, I don't want to say that the policies were just you know for not for the development industry, but for for the media and for you know for people to chew on and maybe spook people. Yeah. But the, the developers aren't frightened by them. I think they're more frustrated by them. So you're taking little tiny pokes at some some high profile things, such as the the non-resident speculation tax, such as. You know the credits on development charges. I don't see that influencing supply at all. If anything, I, say, I, I think it spooked maybe the retail market for a short period of time, but maybe the more sophisticated developers or institutional uh, managers, um, you know, are a little more grounded and not not quite scared of what uh, has come down the pipe with the Ontario government. Yeah, I mean, listen, the if you look at the low rise market, it's you know, sixty percent is controlled by the top twenty uh, companies, and some of those are even affiliated. So if they want to slow down supply because of temporary price corrections, they do. And then the media reports on that, oh, look, very few homes are being sold. No, they're just, they're making that decision. Interesting. You know, they're not going to build for a loss because because the market's soft. They'll wait, let it pent up, and then they'll they'll keep going. 
remarkable. Well, that was Jay Child, Jack's centerman. When Jack was 10 playing pawn hockey with Nick Boynton, who, of course, got his name on the cup. Jay, I want to thank you for joining us. You can take Nick home. Nick's got to go back what, to Arizona, I guess, uh, in a couple of days. Arizona, yeah, and hope the you, weather is not 40 degrees when I get there. You plowed the farm. You'd help your parents out. I've done all I can do up here. And yes. you never got you never gave Jay a listing on the farm. Uh, he, he might be back circling around. <laughs> I might need him the way I'm listening to him talk here. <laughs> uh, you're good fellas, man. Guys, I really appreciate you coming in. Next, we're going to talk to Canopy Growth, Canada's largest legal marijuana producer. Bruce Litton. Stay with us. There's more show still to come. That's what I want. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. That's what I want. Love of Money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. That is Oasis, Champagne Supernova. There we go. Yes, Canopy Growth founder, chairman, and CEO Bruce Linton is on the line with us here at Hi-Fi Radio. Bruce, thank you for joining us. Hey, I wish I would have been uh, in person next time. Ah, these things happen. Well, look, Bruce, it's a Labor Day weekend, Saturday morning. We spoke hockey. Now we're going to speak about legal, I guess, marijuana. That 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 is the theme, the go forward uh, uh, thesis that that really has your company, uh, I think, uh, poised for the future. Uh, you know, we, just under a year's time, we're hoping to hear from. Our Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Uh, he promises next Canada Day. Uh, you know, I guess marijuana should be legal. That's nothing's changed since uh, since his last words, Bruce. No, it's it's on or before, and I bet it's before because uh, Canada Day and Cannabis Day sounds sort of the same, but it's kind of hard to get reelected if it becomes Cannabis Day. <laughs> I think they're gonna. I think they probably get out in front of that one. It's, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to run the campaign on that one. Do you think? Do you think they can do it in time? There's a lot of uh, discussions. Is it the provincial, the federal, the Americas? Um, it seems like they're, they're they're now getting pressed up against the clock here with this one. Yeah, you, it depends what your goal is. I think their goal is to have it start. They're not trying to take black market out 100. percent So they have a supply chain. That's the licensed producers. If the provinces aren't up and running fully, which they won't be, some will be more than others, then they can simply let us do what we already do for medical patients, which is to allow you to buy it on our website, ship it directly to your home using the same courier as if you went to the LCBO and bought a bottle of gin. They'll deliver it to your house with the courier that we use, Canada Post, and uh, you need the same ID. And you, you, you exclusively use Canada Post, correct, by law? It has uh, to be Canada Post? Um, no, it's, it has to be a, a, a secure courier. There's a variety of ones that meet that criteria. But uh, we primarily use that one because it, it's odd to think of it. But if the courier doesn't get you in your home, which is almost all the time, the closest place to go pick it up is that pharmacy or the little corner store that has the depot for the courier, for mm-hmm. post. And so a lot of times that's a really handy reason to pick uh, a courier. And so we like that because our, our customers don't have to go far if they miss the shipment on the day that it comes to their house. They just go down to the corner and get it at the, uh, you know, the shopper's drug mart, whoever has the right. 
Yeah. Hey, if you're just tuning in to Hi-Fi Radio AM 640, uh, we got the founder and chairman of Canopy Growth, uh, a legal marijuana producer in Canada, it's actually the largest producer, uh, or the largest market cap on the board. Um, Bruce, how, how many um, licensed producers are there currently in Canada, and uh, is there opportunity for a, a new enthusiast to get themselves a license and begin producing uh, medical marijuana and potentially down the road uh, recreational marijuana? Yeah. So there's a, there's a Health Canada website. It lists more than 50 licenses that have been granted. That doesn't mean there's more than 50 separate companies because, you know, we run six licenses. And so there's, um, you know, probably uh, 35 plus companies out there which uh, are growing cannabis for the, the supply chain to the medical market and will be the supply chain to the adult access. And so it is, uh, there's a chance for craft, uh, you know, small startup growers. Uh, we have a number of them that we actually have put their product through our storefront. And, uh, you know, a lot of those uh, folks are expert growers, but the whole process of packaging, branding, and rolling the product out is not as much their interest as the production. So that there's, a, there's a bunch of small opportunities um, for startups. Uh, it is a licensed regime, which means lots of paper to get your license, but uh, it's for sure worth it once you're on the right side of it. Hey, Bruce, it's Jack here. Um, just with all those LPs out there right now, um, what makes you different, I guess, than, and, uh, other than the scale that you have um, with your product? So Tweed started in the former Hershey factory for all of Canada. And so the first thing that starts to make you different is when you build brands. And so we built a brand that started attracting, you know, international uh, stars and cannabis uh, knowledgeable people like Snoop, for example, wanted to work with Tweed and does. So now we have a diversity of brands. We have uh, Metrum Spectrum. We have Bedrocan for Medical. We have Tweed. And then we start to have things like Lease by Snoop and DNA products. And so that starts to catch uh, a lot more market interest. We have uh, about three or four times more production than anybody else, and we have activities now in four provinces. And so the effect of that is we think we can actually deliver what people want in Canada, uh, anywhere in Canada, you know, same day, next day, as we hit the uh, adult access market. Uh, Bruce, um, you're also looking over the pond, uh, and I want to talk to you about that, but we've got to pay a few bills around here. So can you just hang around with us for a few minutes? <laughs> for sure. All right, stand by. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM640. I was really looking for that little bit in there. It says, where were you when we were getting high? But just couldn't do it. We tried. We tried. Bruce Litton, Canopy Growth, in the studio, sort of, here on Hi-Fi Radio this morning, Labor Day weekend. Uh, so, Bruce, there's two questions I want to ask you. Number one, I want to ask you, actually three questions. Number one, I want to ask you about the size of the Canadian legal marijuana industry. Number two, um, or medical marijuana industry, excuse me. Number two, if it became legal next year, Potentially, how large would the market be? And number three, why are we looking over to Germany to uh, expand our business? Sure. So uh, in order, uh, the medical market right now has about 200,000 people who've gone to a doctor, got a prescription, have the product delivered. I suspect that'll double in next, by next year. And uh, as you look out, I think the third wave is the medical market could be as big or bigger than what, uh, the next number, the, the adult access market. And the reason is, the medical market can and will disrupt things like opioids. It has a really uh, potential, strong potential in things like anxiety. And you think, well, anxiety, 
it's about uh, adults, uh, say, old generation living in a nursing home. They've got anxiety, dementia. So there's a big wave of medical products coming. So, so you, uh, sorry, Paul, sorry to interrupt you, um, uh, Bruce. You think, in fact, medical could become larger than recreational if recreational was legal? Yeah, if you look at how huh. much uh, we spend on products that don't cure but make living with an ailment uh, more so, possible, yeah. it's huge. And if you think about opioids, cannabinoids are a material disruptor to that, I believe. And over time, I think we're going to find that this range of ingredients, uh, combined with other medical ingredients, not standalone necessarily, uh, could actually disrupt so many of the primary pharmaceutical areas that uh, I believe it could be bigger than the adult access market in the next wave. So that that massive uh, medical market that you're talking about there, Bruce, is that extracts that are coming out or is it going to be like a leaf uh, product? It'll be uh, primarily extracts. And as you take extracts, Think of it as a when you take the oils out of a plant, which are the active ingredients, think of it as a hundred different active ingredients and that you can over time start to resynthesize in different proportions. Maybe put them into a device that allows for dosed inhalation, might look like a, a steroidal inhaler or think of it as um, something with time release capsules so that you can focus on methods to get people to stay asleep properly. There's, there's just a huge potential next wave. And so what you want in the company is... Uh, Right now, short-term medical, burst into the adult access, and then really focus and deliver IP and I'll call it pharmaceutically productive products uh, in that next section. So, so um, then why Germany? Why am I hearing so much interest in, in moving to Germany? That's a long way away. Uh, and, yeah, and certainly, so, you know, the, I, I, my first notion in Germany is they're close enough to Holland. Uh, I think the Dutch can teach them something about what you have a whole <laughs> bunch of expertise in. I'm not kidding. I'm being serious about that. Yeah. Well, so the, the, it's really public policy that gets us to go to Germany. The Germans have taken a public policy approach very similar to Canada in terms of how it's going to be produced, uh, how it will be dis, uh, delivered, uh, the formats of the product. And so Germany has, you know, almost three times as many people as Canada. And if you bring something forward as a, a medical product in Germany, it's fully covered by their socialized medical system. <laughs> and so that's a great segment of a market. The interesting thing is most of us think uh, Amsterdam and uh, Holland have legal cannabis. They have the most upside-down, backwards public policy on cannabis. It's not illegal to sell it in those little cafes, but it's illegal to grow it and provide it to the cafes. So the Dutch probably bust more grow-ups per capita <laughs> than any other place on the planet. And that's, so that's unbelievable. It's, just a, it's a public policy disaster. And so what people are investing in, isn't really marijuana, and I don't mean to make it boring, but what they're investing in is the fact that Canada got the public policy right first, which means the companies in Canada that get good at it have a three- to five-year opportunity to become world leaders, while the policies adopted in Germany, Australia, other jurisdictions that like what we've done. And so what we want to do is use the strength and momentum we get by having a home turf advantage on this early policy to go everywhere best. Hmm. And, and that, that's really what it's about. Isn't that boring compared to talking about marijuana? Well, okay say, it is business after all. And it's early in the morning. Yeah. Um, I guess one metric that people are looking at is the funding capacity of these things when they're uh, fully funded. And I think yours is at 12 times versus the peer average around 6.9. Um, why do you have that premium valuation? And then the other part of that question is, I guess, what happened? I think it was in April or May when everything fell off valuations. Uh, you just had a, a 20% correction, give or take. Yeah. So um, I'm on your radio show because, you know, tweet. You know the brand Canopy, and you know that we have uh, built, we have about, depending on the quarter, sort of 30 to 40% market share in the current market. And so when people have to walk into a store and buy a branded product for the first time legally, you know, right now I'm competing with Ziploc. 
uh, you know, bags of weed at a corner. When you walk <laughs> to a government, a government branded store, someplace that allows you to make a decision based on an informed uh, opinion, we're front of mind. We have the brands, and so we, we're getting a premium for that. We're also uh, designed to scale. So it's a bunch of IT nerds who are behind a lot of this who are thinking from day one, how do we make this a transactional platform that could serve, you know, um, a few million customers next year? And so I think that scaling is going to be what it's about. Um, as far as the share price, uh, I can. It ran up in November to about seventeen dollars in a day. We tripped the uh, TSX, uh, I think, five times for the rapid gain. Can't explain that. Would say it was probably computer trading and nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, our drop off in April is this has been a retail driven stock that I think you'll see emerge as a more institutional one, and that the retail had the perfect run of news. You know, Trudeau with great hair gets picked to run the party. He says, "I'm going to put pot in place if you elect me." God, he wins. Then he appoints a panel. That panel is a prestigious group. They deliver a report. Uh, about three months later, the report's pretty much perfect. The only complaint is, should you be 18 or 19? Then they put the parliament in April, about the 9th, the regs, and, and they're pretty normal, and they're going to get through. And now we have had no news and won't have any until the fall for the sector. And so I think what you saw was the uh, run-up based on an unbelievable year-and-a-half news window for retail that was followed by a essentially a quiet period and a couple of events and now it seems to be trading a little better hmm, interesting well look we've yet to promise us uh, you and i are going to develop our relationship and uh, you're going to keep educating me on the medical marijuana and uh, i guess p- future uh, uh, what do you call it adult uh, what's the uh, adult access you know adult we, we, access yeah because we, canada has had the second longest history in the world of having legal access to medical cannabis and hmm. so our events since 2001 have really informed how the medical system works and so I, I look forward to coming back because, you know, I think if you, if you look at capital markets and how they exist today, show me anywhere else that has somewhere between 150 and a $300 billion market that if the right public policy exists, I don't have to really invent too much. I just have to change the supplier from black market to regulate. And so imagine there's a, call it $300 billion market out there that simply needs a supply chain change and we're the leader in that i guess that would give uh, this buds for you a whole new meaning my good friend <laughs> that's a new one for me there you go you pal look uh, bruce you have yourself a great weekend we'll get you back on hi-fi radio uh we have to do a little uh, education planning now uh, our summer student ansel gravel is off on his way soon back to queen's we're going to find out how much it costs and how to plan and what it's like to be a student and the experience for the millennials, after all, of being a student in this day and age right after this. Money. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. Money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Yeah, boys and girls, Labor Day weekend. I hated Labor Day weekend when I was a student. Oh, it was so depressing. In fact, it got depressing back in July when they put up all those back to school. My, my kids say to me, Daddy, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it, Daddy. I don't want to hear it. And Mommy and Daddy high-fiving. Yes, it's coming. The big countdown. We love back to school as parents, and we hated as kids. Well, Ansel Gravel was our summer student, the kid I didn't want to hire, but he convinced me to do so, and I did just that, and it was a great experience. Ansel, welcome back to Hi-Fi Radio. Uh, thank you for having me again. Uh, it's a pleasure, man. So, um, 
you're going to Queens, and uh, I was shocked uh, by your parents in the studio and uh, at the cost of Queens. Uh, I'm a Ryerson graduate. Um, Jack handles a lot of our RESPs for our clients, so Jack actually sees the tuition bills come in the studio or into our into the studio <laughs> into our into our office over on Bay Street. Um, and you know, usually tuition is about six grand, Jack, seven grand, anywhere from yeah five to ten thousand dollars. You typically see, and that's tuition and then they also can you know if they're buying books and have residents and all that stuff on top of it can get more expensive but uh, yeah typically the tuition bills are anywhere from five to ten grand five to ten grand but queens is different uh yeah business the, school is anyways yeah i mean uh in the commerce program my tuition's around 18 19 thousand a year just for tuition and residence first year was another 12 13 grand on top of that that's before books and uh anything of that nature residence is 12 grand correct that's with the food plan though with the food oh, i see you get fed for that money mm-hmm. uh, uh, private room do you have a, do you have a, uh, a mate uh mate? the first year i was in res with uh one of my friends from back home and then now we're in an apartment uh three of us together right that cost you 12 grand with, uh, with the food yeah and residence uh, now my apartment we got a good deal we just deal with landlords and we cook our own food and so, you got and you guys mine bitcoin uh, not there actually. Maybe we're going to, but we, we, we pay our uh, we pay our utility bills at that place. Oh so. no 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 Bitcoin mining. You're actually going to turn lights off. Probably you'll be conscientious. Yeah, something like that. Well, <laughs> good for you, um, Jack. Let's go into our RESP planning, and because sure. Ansel, much of, part of your education was paid was covered by the RESP that your parents set up for you. I guess that's correct. Yeah. 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 No, I have an RESP for my kids. I got three children. Um, and uh, so I keep putting away the uh, the max every year, which is what, $7,500 a year, Jack? That's uh, $2,500 that you per, get grant on right. per child. Right. I have three yep. kids. So $7,500. Yep. So $2,500 per child. And then the grant, Jack, is 20%, 20%. which yep. is another $500 that the government correct. gives yep. you. So uh, these RESPs make a lot of sense. Uh, now, again, there is an order of operations. It's just like your BEDMAS, right? Bed, you remember BEDMAS? What was uh, Bedma stand for? Uh, brackets. Uh, exponents. Come exponents. on. You're commerce, boy. Uh, come on, Ansel. <laughs> oh, my God. Summer, that's all right. Don't it's worry about it. It's a bit early here. <laughs> that September thought. Yes. Brackets, exponents, division, eh? All that good yep. stuff. Bedma's forget it. Um, <laughs> but, no, there's an order of operation with an RESP, uh, boys and girls out there, that if your kid's about to go to school and you got the tuition bill in, you want to speak to someone like Jack who really knows the intricacies as to how to withdraw money from an RESP because it, it, it is not generic. There's a, there's a trick to it, right, Jack? Uh, there is. Uh, the first, I guess, I think it's 13 weeks, you can take out um, $5,000. That's as an education assistance payment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that payment, it includes grant, which the government gave you, and also some income as well, and a little bit of principal. Right. If you want to take out more than that, you can in the first 13 weeks, but that portion would be principal. It has to be principal only. That's correct. All right. So th- after the 13-week period, Jack, what happens in terms of fur- further um, uh, withdrawals from the, from the RESP? Yeah, you want to take out the, the money that the government gave you and then also the income that you earned. Uh, leave your principal in the RESP as long as you can. Generally speaking, that is. Uh, and the way you do that is the uh, uh, education assistance withdrawal. So you do that as opposed to a principal-only withdrawal. So, so you have, But you have to actually make that election as you make the withdrawal. That's correct, yep. The only time you do a principal withdrawal only is if, say, your child was in a co-op program mm-hmm. and maybe they were doing that for half the year they earned a lot of money. You wouldn't want to take out the, uh, the education assistance payment that year because the income and the grant would be taxed in your child's hands. Is it not always taxed in your child's hands? It is, but in that period of time, they're already earning income. So you want to make sure that if they're earning income, you don't want to earn income on, on top, top of, of that it, right. income. So you wait for another year to defer it, 
and then you would actually be taking out the education assistance payment when they have a full year of school when they earn no income and they actually pay no tax. Now, Ansel, I'm going to ask you the tough question here. Uh, you're, you're going to what, third year? Uh, yeah, that's correct. Third year. Um, how much of your tuition did you pay for yourself, if any? Uh, I gave my dad five grand each year uh, out the gate and then tried to fend for myself as long as I could. And then when the funds drew dry, uh, sorry, grew dry, that's when I uh, went back to my dad. Well, good for you, but you're responsible. You actually participated in, in, in your own success. Uh, you, you made a capital investment in yourself, so I'm very, very proud of you for that. Well, look, you, you did a great job for Jack, and I'm very proud of you. I think you're great. You're a 20-year-old millennial, and you give millennials a really, really good name. Your professors should be very proud of you. Queen should be very proud of you. Uh, Jack and I are, and uh, I wish you a very, very good fall. Uh, and you keep in contact with Jack and I, and uh, you know, Bay Street uh, gives you the high five. We wish you great success, man. Well, thank you very much. That All right. Uh, well, folks, that's it for another show of Hi-Fi Radio. Jack Hartle did a great job as always lots of color lots of commentary this week and uh, well i wish you a wonderful labor day weekend and mothers and fathers out there high five it's going to be great the kids are going back to school oh so soon can't wait have a good weekend You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. For the podcast of today's show, go to 640Toronto.com. New shows every week. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.